Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It's Rapa, that's Wednesday, the 9th of March. Pornathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, one of the BBC's biggest stars is under fire for criticising the UK government. We hear how a group of Coromandel volunteers drive people to medical appointments, hear how they're coping on the peninsula's wrecked roads. Also, the surprising origin story of the world's most popular dole. Minister of Transport Michael Woods tells us what the government's doing about it, uh, those roads in the Coromandel. But it now costs $2 an hour to park outside Auckland Zoo. What, I think the it's actual? absolutely pathetic on behalf of Auckland Council and it should never ever have anything to do with the zoo. The zoo's publicly funded, so should the parking. End of story. Kia ora everybody. Uh, welcome to First Up. What a start. I think before my head said Wednesday. It's No, it's Thursday, which is quite good. Now I feel like I've stolen an entire day. So that is brilliant. So um, we're in credit. Uh, in just five minutes there of uh, of saying it was Wednesday, but it's actually Thursday. Thank you very much, eagle-eared uh, texter on the way in. Yeah, I'll get there. I'll, I'll get it right today. I'm Nathan Rarere. Let's kick off Thursday's programme in the UK. With me from London is Henry Riley. Nathan, good evening from the UK. Excellent. OK, stay in your lane. People love to do that one. Stay in your lane, sports host, uh, football hero as well. BBC Match of the Day host Gary Lineker. It, he's in the gun over Twitter comments critical of the government's immigration policy. What did he say? So Gary Lineker, a very well-decorated footballer in the UK, played for England at a national level. He, he was pretty much a, a sort of sports hero of many people. He was an excellent footballer, an excellent striker. But he does love causing a bit of controversy. He's got form for this. He quite often sort of opines on various political issues. It's quite clear that he's got strong views when it comes to the Conservative government. It's not the first time he's been in the dock, as it were, over comments. And yesterday, the government unveiled their sort of flagship immigration policy. It was one of Rishi Sunak's five main pledges for the year, stop the boats. And he clearly disagrees with it. And he made a comparison. He said it's not dissimilar to the language used by Germany in the 1930s. Now, the problem with that is whatever comparison you are making, even if it is a righteous one or if there is some degree of truth in it, as soon as you bring in Nazi Germany, it totally distracts the attention. And if I was a sort of communications officer, I would say, do you have to, does it, does it really add to your point to bring in Nazi Germany? More often than not, in fact, in probably every circumstance, the answer is not. Bringing in Nazi Germany just causes confusion. And actually the point which Gary Lineker was making, which is one which many people from sort of opposition to the Conservatives have made, is that the Home Secretary in the UK, Suella Braverman, has made language that many have seen as inflammatory, many have seen as disappointing. And his point has actually been lost because he's made this comparison that is so extreme to Nazi Germany that actually it's almost diminished his argument. So he's in the dock. The BBC, which obviously has to be impartial, have we we hear spoken with him. They are having a frank conversation with Gary Lineker. You can imagine how that's going to go down. But it doesn't seem at the moment there's any suggestion that he'll be removed off the TV screens. He is one of the most popular TV presenters in the country, hosting Match of the Day, which is a sort of roundup of all the Premier League football. I'd suggest this will blow over in a few days. Well, he's gone with Godwin's Law, but he's done it very early, hasn't he? Which is the yeah. God, Godwin's Law, for those of you that don't know, the internet rule that eventually in a discussion where people are having an argument, eventually gets to somewhere where someone brings up Nazi Germany, but he just goes straight away. He goes all in on the opening hand. It's, a very, yeah. it's an interesting tactic, though. Uh, you, you, the Prime Minister, though, he's gone and doubled down on the policy, hasn't he? 
That's right. I mean, this is really sort of make or break for the Conservatives. We've spoken perhaps in recent months, haven't we, Nathan, about the decline of the Conservatives in the polls. They really believe that this is sort of their main issue where they could claw back Labour's leads. They think that the next election can be won on the small boats crossings. And it depends who you speak with. That There are many constituencies in the UK whereby small boats and immigration is their main issue. And so stopping the arrival of small boats across the channel, particularly in areas such as Kent, Dover, will be very popular and will mean potentially that the Conservatives hold on to more seats. It, it also is a clear dividing line between the Conservatives and Labour, whereby the Conservatives, if there is any opposition, can say, oh, look, Labour don't want to control your borders. We want to control the borders. That's why Brexit hasn't worked so far. But Rishi Sunak really sticking to his guns on this one, saying that this is sort of a flagship government policy. He thinks this is enough to persuade voters that the Conservatives are serious about the issue. And it's an issue that has sort of docked the Conservatives for many months and many years. They've often been accused of failing to get to grips with this issue. Rishi Sunak raised a few eyebrows when he appointed Suella Braverman as the Home Secretary. We spoke about that at the time, a, a, a quite controversial character. But one thing is clear, they are united on the issue of small boat crossings and they're determined to stamp it out. And the Prime Minister is certainly not going to back down at this stage. Yeah. Hey, earlier in this week, we spoke to LEJ. She talked about how it was getting cold in the UK. What's it like at the moment? Is it warming up? It's freezing. In London, we had snow uh, earlier this morning. So I woke up with a sort of sheet of snow uh, across various parts of outer London, which is where I was. But it turns out I didn't have it that bad because in the Highlands, it plummeted to minus 15.2 degrees overnight in one mm. particular area, which is absolutely insane, really. There have been various disruptions. The Met Office, funny enough, in the last hour or so have issued an amber weather warning to cover parts of north and central England, which essentially means that various travel will be disrupted. There'll be pictures, you can bet your bottom dollar later this evening, of commuters at rush hour being stuck, failing to get to work, train <laughs> services being down, uh, flights being cancelled. And it is one of those issues whereby the UK seemingly can't cope. I mean, part of the north of England dropped to not point minus eight sorry, minus eight degrees uh, in the north of England a little bit earlier on today as well. So it really has got cold and there doesn't seem to be any sign of it, of it warming up. It's still sleeting and it's forecast to sleep right uh, up, up until tomorrow. We have uh, a place in Dunedin where specifically camera people from six o'clock news go out and they just set their camera up on sticks and they just wait for the cars to slide back down, you know, <laughs> in the snow. It's, it's like that yeah. place, not that place, you know, you know the, the place in London where when it floods, they always go and film people trying to drive through and all the locals gather yeah, around to watch. Yeah, because there's a big sort of uh, dip, isn't there? Yeah. And it ends up, cars end up floating and almost swimming through. Yes. Yeah, so, same sort of thing. Oh, well, keep out of the snow, sir. And if you go out there, mate, like the best snow angel of all time. Cheers, Henry. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Nathan. It's at 12 past five. We go to Australia now where Tasmania's St. Vincent de Paul says that women aged over 55 are streaming through its doors in need of help. The organisation says more needs to be done to address gender inequality in relation to salaries and superannuation. And the calls are backed up by a new report too, which finds that women earn $1 million less than men in their lifetimes and have less superannuation too. The ABC's Alexandra Humphreys reports. Desperate for help with no place else left to turn. Increasing numbers of Tasmanian women over 55 are knocking on the doors of aid agencies such as St Vincent de Paul in need of immediate help to get food on the table or pay their energy or fuel bills. The head of St Vincent de Paul, Tasmania, is Heather Kent. Many of these women haven't had an opportunity to earn in their lifetime at the same level as their male counterparts. They've had caring activities 
many of them work part-time and often in less well-paid positions. So as a consequence, their lifetime earnings, their savings and most particularly their superannuation is far less than their male counterpart. Heather Kent says many of the women she sees didn't anticipate the hardship they now face. And while St Vincent de Paul offers assistance, she says it's not enough to address generational and systemic problems. There is so much more that needs to be done for marginalised women, particularly women over 55 in our community. Eliza Littleton is a senior economist at the Centre for Future Work at the Australia Institute. We know that Older women are one of the most vulnerable groups when it comes to poverty and and homelessness in Australia. And this gender pay gap significantly contributes to uh, poverty and old age for women. Ms Littleton co-authored a new report which examined Australia's gender pay gap. It finds female workers earn an average of $476 a week less than male workers. A woman on medium income, uh, her whole working life will earn $1 million less in today's dollars than her male counterpart. So it's like 26.5% less income over the whole working life. The way we value work done by women is key. Miss Littleton says women are concentrated in lower wage industries and they're overrepresented in part-time and insecure work. This results in men having an average, uh, a higher average salary than women in 95% of all occupations. And because income is linked to the accrual of superannuation, the gap follows women after they finish working. A woman who has earned a median income her whole life uh, will have $136,000 less in her super balance by the time she retires than um, her male counterpart. At this pace, the gap isn't expected to close for another 30 years. The report recommends changes that could help see it close sooner, such as more affordable childcare, extended paid parental leave and better incentives for men to take it, and deliberately lifting wages in female-dominated occupations. So we are making some progress. The gender pay gap is narrowing slowly and we we recently saw um, one of the kind of main measures of the gender pay gap drop from 14% to 13%. But the pace is really slow. The pace is slow in other areas too. The federal government's today released its first Status of Women report card, timed to coincide with International Women's Day. It's found women over 55 are the fastest growing group of people experiencing homelessness and that one in two women have experienced sexual harassment. Women's Minister Katie Gallagher says Australians need to be part of the discussion on improving equality. There's a broader picture here uh, of issues that we have to tackle that the government can do part of, but it's a broader national conversation that we're trying to ensure uh, we have. Australian Women's Minister Katie Gallagher ending that report from the ABC's Alexandra Humphreys. It's 16 minutes past five and you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Raduri. Always keen for your feedback. Today we have a story coming up later, which I think is going to take off today. It's about uh, parking. Auckland Zoo now charging $2 per hour. It's capped at four hours, so that'll be an extra eight if you stay there for the four as well. Um, just thinking for yourselves, when you, if you've taken out the kids, the nieces, the the, the grandkids, the, the, I don't know, the friends or whatever like that as well, uh, cost of going out to things like that, like a 
family leisure day. Um, what do you think of the pricing of it? I think the pricing's quite expensive, but is there like a cap that you'd put on it? Look, if I could do it in like a package deal for, say, 20 bucks, that'd be good, or 25 bucks or something. Let us know anyway. Or where are the bargains? Where are the bargains and where are the expensive places? 2101. 21 one the zoo, very expensive and even animates now. Don't have as many uh, pets in there that you can go and have a look at for free zoo, like everyone used to. Anyway, let's head to Europe now with me from Sweden, with her weekly report is indeed the world's most overqualified radio correspondent. It's Dr. Anita Purcell Sherland. Kia ora, how are you? Fine, thank you, Morena. So tell us about this. Um, some really violent clashes there in the Georgian capital of Tbilisi. What's behind these protests? Well, behind the protests is a draft law demanding that any organisation such as media outlets and NGOs receiving more than 20% of their funding from overseas must register as foreign agents or face hefty fines. Now, the protesters rallied on Tuesday evening and on Wednesday, police used water cannons and tear gas to disperse the protesters and they responded by throwing petrol bombs and stones at police. Now, critics say the drafted foreign agents law is like a 2012 law in Russia, which is currently used to track down on dissent. Now, the draft law has raised fears that it could hurt Georgia's hopes of eventually becoming an EU member. Mm. Uh, it is, it's, it's, there's a lot of protest stuff to talk about this morning. Thousands of protesters there in Greece still holding rallies in central Athens. Tell us about those. Well, on Wednesday in Athens alone, the protests are across Greece, but in Athens alone, 30,000 striking transport workers, students and teachers demonstrated. The demonstrations were organised by labour unions and student associations. Labour unions say that years of neglect and underinvestment and understaffing is a legacy of Greece's decade-long debt crisis. However, um, senior officials from a European Union railway agency and safety experts from Germany were expected in Athens as part of promise assistance to help Greece improve its railway safety. Yeah, uh, and the protests continue in France, and this this must still be uh, based around the what is it the the government policy that's been mentioned of raising the pension from the age by, by two years, sixty two to sixty four. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, over the last six days, the number of protesters have been growing and the number on Tuesday reached 1.28 million, which is, I mean, if you want a comparison, it's kind of close to Auckland's population, which is around 1.6. So the protests come at a very critical time as Macron's government hopes to that the plans to raise the pension age, among other proposed reforms, will be adopted by the end of the month. Now, basically, the French government wants to increase employment among the 60 to 64 four-year-olds to ease the burden of workers financing pensions. At present, the employment rate of 60 to 64-year-olds is 33% compared to 61% in Germany and 69% in Sweden. So just to give an idea of a reason, you know, one of the reasons behind the pension reform is that in 1950, four workers were financing one pension. In 2000, that ratio was two to one. And predictions are that in 2040, 1.3 workers will finance one pension which basically means the current system is unsustainable. Mm. Um, yeah, it's an interesting future to have a look to. Also, NATO's boss says that Bakhmut uh, may uh, eventually fall into Russian hands. What, what else has Jens Stoltenberg said? Well, Stoltenberg is... 
Stockholm today or Wednesday to meet uh, EU defence ministers. And in addition to his predictions about Bakhmut, Stoltenberg said that Russia is sending more troops and increasing its military strength in Ukraine. And he noted that Russia is basically compensating for the lack of military quality with quantity and that military support for Ukraine must also increase. Now, his comments come amid reports of claims from the Wagner Group that its troops have taken full control of eastern Bakhmut. For the Kremlin, capturing Bakhmut is essential for achieving its goal of taking control of the Donetsk region, which was illegally annexed in September. Hmm. And finally, tell us about this. The European Drug Agency's come out in opposition to an erotic centre in Amsterdam. Well, it can only happen in Amsterdam, but uh, the, the erotic centre will be a multi-storey complex one kilometres from the doors of the European Medicines Agency. Now, the agency is concerned about possible consequences such as drug dealing, drunkenness and disorderly behaviour. Now, the whole point of this erotic centre is to relocate sex workers away from the historic red light district in Amsterdam. Amsterdam wants to close almost half of the red light district's brothel windows to, and move their tenants from to the proposed location. Now, the mayor says that the relocation is at a decent distance from the Euro Drug Agency and that the police see few safe safety risks as the sex workers will be indoors without a street audience. Yeah, well, as long as it's warm in there. Um, <laughs> Anita, thank you very much for your time. Dr. Anita purcell Sherland, who joins us every week out of Sweden. It's 5.23. Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. So coming up on the programme this morning, the Transport Minister, Michael Woods, uh, will be with us. And and it's actually quite good too. Obviously a lot of crippled highways around and roading projects, so a very good person to speak to today. Plus the $2 zoo parking fee that has some residents going ape. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. It's the day of our life. We're called the 9th of March, and we say happy birthday to you, Mark Tukey. Mark Tukey, very beloved player uh, from the Warriors. Uh, big, big bloke. Look at, the cool, look, at, look at the big bloke go, that's what they say. Um, drove a mini, and that was another really cool thing about him, because he was giant, he had a mini. Nowadays, he's very thin, he runs triathlons, he's uh, lost a whole lot of weight, and he has to keep saying to people, no, no, I am, no, I'm, I'm Mark, I just... I'm just not doing rugby league anymore. I'm smaller. So there he is, Mark Tukey. Very beloved. Also, happy 52nd birthday to Emmanuel Lewis. You might remember the television show Webster uh, that used to be on in the 80s. So if you remember Webster, uh, that was Emmanuel Lewis there. He was a uh, child spokesperson for the Burger King Whopper. Uh, In Japan, he's known as a singer. He's released two singles. His debut single, City Connection, actually reached number two. He's a practitioner of Taekwondo. And uh, he was known for being very small, and his height only changed by six inches since his childhood. Um, he's 1.3 metres tall. He's, there's no known condition to explain his height at all. Also, he's a Freemason. There you are, they're not heightest, the Freemasons. So, uh, happy birthday to you, Emmanuel Lewis. On this day in uh, 432 BC, the Parthenon was consecrated in Athens. 
Uh, on this day in 1959, Barbie, Barbie was introduced by Mattel. So the first Barbie doll goes on display. It's at the American Toy Fair in New York City. They go, this is a cool idea. She go, yeah. And it was the very first doll in the United States to have adult features. Uh, she was based on a German doll called Lily, who was a comic strip character, and she was first marketed to men in tobacco shops as a sort of naughty gag gift. So they changed her uh, into American and called her Barbie after Ruth Handler's daughter, who was, uh, of course, Ruth Handler was the co-founder founder of Mattel. And the Ford Mustang rolled off the production line in this day in 1964. Uh, the base price of $2,368 is what it was. It sold an industry record of 417,000 units in its first year, originally intended to be a mid-engine two-seat roadster, but that changed with the sale of the Thunderbird, uh, and they put in a back seat as well. So happy birthday to you, Ford Mustang, but mostly Emmanuel Lewis. Anantaki looks at those people who work hard for their money. How are you, Anant? Morena, very well. How are you? Very good. The major banks are saying, no, we work really hard for our money and we're unfazed by you having a look at our, the size of our profits. That's right. Not not a worry on their uh, on their front. Have a look um, then. Look, this <laughs> that, look, this comes. Uh, yeah, this. So what 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 are you hiding then? Um, right. Uh, look, this comes after um, the National and Green parties uh, said uh, you know they want a short select uh, committee hearing on uh, bank profits. Uh, you know, while others they want a full Commerce Commission market study. So we approached the big banks, uh, but uh, none would do an interview on the issue, uh, but they were happy to face any inquiry. Uh, Just last month, uh, we heard ASB announce a record half-year profit. It was about $840 million, uh, huge numbers, and their interest margins uh, went up as rates increased as well. But they say uh, New Zealand's Retail banking scene is very competitive. Uh, they say their goal is to give people value for money. And uh, another of the banks, uh, in fact, the biggest bank, ANZ, they said they're always looking to keep uh, a balance in, in its interest margin. And they stress that uh, basically since the Reserve Bank started lifting the cash rate, uh, the increases in their deposit and lending rates have been largely similar. And they're actually saying that it's actually less than the total uh, in cash rate increases. So they're saying they're keeping themselves in check pretty well, basically. Uh, Kiwi Bank, on the other hand, they say uh, scrutiny uh, basically comes with the territory, given how big bank profits are. Uh, They were saying that the industry needs regulation, uh, so that uh, they're basically kept in check over their profits. Um, now, we heard from Claire Matthews of Massey University yesterday. She was an RNZ, and you know she's a well-regarded uh, expert in the banking field. Now, she has reservations about whether a select committee will find out much. She says what people need is a deeper understanding of uh, how banks operate, basically. Mm. 
I'm just thinking here uh, with our audience, 2101, you can text in about that. Would you be surprised if the banks charged you for parking outside? 2101, we're just into the, the parking this morning at Auckland Zoo, and it's quite big. Tell me about this as possible. well. Yeah, 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 two bucks an hour. Goodness. Uh, the, oh, that's outrageous. Yeah. Uh, the, the tech sector, they're struggling to keep up with the demand for digital services. What are those? Yeah, look, this seems to be uh, an ongoing issue in the tech sector. So basically, um, you know, the tech sector covers a wide range of uh, jobs, um, uh, from IT to software as a service, any, any of that. You know, now they're struggling to basically keep up with the huge demand for their services. Uh, now, Amazon Web Services, they commissioned a study uh, and found that a digitally skilled workforce could boost New Zealand's economy by $7.3 billion. But the issue is talented and skilled workers are in short supply. Um, and they said uh, more than three quarters of New Zealand employers surveyed in their report said digital skills uh, will be important over the next five years, but more than two-thirds, or about two-thirds, say it's a mission to find the right people for the job. And that's even after the government's taken steps to make it easier to recruit skilled tech workers. Now, this means uh, organisations are basically unprepared to manage the growing security risks. That's a really big issue that comes with this. Uh, and a report by cybersecurity awareness firm Know Before uh, found only 5% of 218 IT decision makers uh, were able to determine whether examples of phishing emails were real or fake, which I think is a bit concerning. It is indeed. Uh, and I thank you very much for your time. Uh, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10. Two seven, yeah, very hard to get those workers in. I think at the price, and this is the problem, isn't it? I think the whole world is short of workers now. So we go back to competitive job markets, competing with overseas wages, tough. Let's go to the money markets now. Your New Zealand dollar is worth the following: sixty-one point one five US cents, ninety-two point five nine Australian cents, fifty-eight point oh five Euro cents, fifty-one point seven five British pence, fifty, uh, sorry, four point two five yuan, and eighty-three point seven nine Japanese. Yen. Well, like Georgie Pie and smoking on aeroplanes and ashtrays and cars, free parking at Auckland Zoo is now a thing of the past. Yesterday was the first day of paid parking in the zoo's Western Springs car park, which is charging visitors $2 an hour, capped at $8. So we sent Leonard Powell to the fresh new parking machine to see what visitors made of these charges. When I pull up at the Auckland Zoo, the main car park is nearly full. A crowd of people are lined up to pay at the brand new parking machine, but not all of them are happy to pay $2 an hour. What's your thoughts on having to pay for parking here? Um, any paid parking is a rip-off. Revenue gathering, isn't it, really? I think it's a rip-off. It is a rip-off. It's not fair. We're in a living crisis and now we have to pay for parking to come to the zoo. Auckland Zoo gave visitors eight months' notice of the change. It says revenue will help pay for improved infrastructure, including more parking and ongoing maintenance costs. But several out-of-towners I meet at the parking machine are puzzled. I think it's a bit ridiculous, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't um, pay for the zoo parking. Where I'm from in Christchurch, you don't have to, so, yeah. I mean, I come from Hamilton. We have free parking down there. So why are we parking? What do we have to pay? There's no signs 
It's not Wilson's. It's always free wherever we go, like for parking at the zoo, you know. I don't think we should if we have to go like pay to get into the zoo as well. This man is visiting from Perth. He tells me it's something we should get used to. Probably wasn't as expensive as I thought it was going to be. It's the hassle was uh, the AT zone isn't hooked up to the online app, so I couldn't get access to it. But, you know, I thought it was reasonable. And, and, you know, we're used to paying for parking back in Perth, and it's probably a little bit more expensive back home. And at the zoo, do you pay for parking in Perth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's public parks around the zoo, uh, and you pay uh, for that. Auckland Zoo says parking charges are capped at $8 per visit. But if people don't want to pay, there are limited free parks on the street. I thought the zoo was going to be really, really busy because there were so many people parking on the street. And now I get it. That's why there were so many people parking on the street. I asked these zoo goers what they'll do. Yeah, save a bit of money. It all counts. Yeah. No, no, here, still here. We have to pay, yeah. Um, no, I'll probably just pay for parking because it's easier closer. I'm probably parking the car park. <laughs> but it wasn't a laughing matter for this long-time zoo attendee. I think it's absolutely pathetic on behalf of Auckland Council and it should never be, ever have anything to do with the zoo. The zoo's publicly funded, so should the parking. End of story. And how long have you been coming here for? Uh, only about 40 years. And this is obviously, how much did you pay just then? $3. $3.40 maybe. Is there anything else, any other way you feel about it? Uh, probably won't ever come here again. Simple. Auckland Zoo says it has reduced the cost of adult annual passes by 10% to compensate for the parking charges. That was Leonard Powell uh, with that report. We've had some messages in this morning because I did ask, what do you think of the parking? And uh, are there better places? Or bargain ones you can go to if you think that's too much here. Uh, Kia ora. Chris from Autotahi here. $2 per hour for parking. Cheapest chips. We need to get better with our transport. You've recently had floods up there and complain about parking fees. Get real. Grow up and understand our actions are causing extreme weather. Increasing parking fees should change our behaviour necessarily. Uh, Thank you very much there from Chris. Another one, parking, paying for zoo parking is BS. This all started when they started charging us for feed joas. And another one, a bargain family outing. You should go to the sculpture park. Uh, it's five, where is this? Why, why Takaruru? I don't know where that is. I'll have a look at it. The Arboretum. I will have a look. Arboretum. There we go. I'll have a look. $5 for children, $15 for adults. Go to sculpture park. There you are. Have a look at that. All right. I will. 22 to 6, Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National, still to come. We hear from a, a group of heroes in Coromandel, basically. Some volunteers who are helping to drive people to necessary appointments. And also the Minister of Transport, Michael Wood, um, he's here to talk about what the government's doing about it. The professionals of RNZ are the Morning Report crew in their here after six. It's Corin Dan who's with me now to uh, preview what is happening on the programme. How are you? I'm very well. Yourself? It's good. This is like that start of the Lion King where, you know, Mufasa looks out across the rock and goes, all this will be yours. Tell us, what all, all, this, uh, you, all this will be yours to listen to today. Listeners, what do you got there? Well... Uh, there's going to be some. There's going to be some scrapping over health data. Did that quite meet your Lion King analogy? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I need more. Yeah. <laughs> no, no look, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating issue, and it's one uh, which is coming in the context of continued concern around EDs and whether they are being swamped and overwhelmed. There's a debate 
or there's certainly some doubt being cast over Tafato Aura's data on emergency department wait times. So, look, most people can relate to that, understand that uh, going to an ED in New Zealand, you're going to be waiting. And obviously in winter, it's of concern. And we've had this issue over the weekend in Auckland. So Hmm. we're going to delve into that. There's a bit of few numbers coming back and forth and this sort of thing. But I think it's a very important issue that we do need to climb into. Uh, We'll go overseas a little bit too as well because we need to check in on Ukraine. There are fears that Bakhmut, the uh, holdout town, may be falling to the Russians. The Wagner group claim it is NATO's boss, says it might be. That would be a significant setback for Ukraine, even though the Russians are taking huge losses there by all accounts. Uh, And Fox News... We'll keep watching on Fox News because uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, extraordinary uh, re-edit of the the vision from January 6th is drawing fire from left, right and centre. He seems to have no shame, that man, because text messages have come out again showing he claiming, well, he was saying he hated Donald Trump despite doing his bidding and... It's quite extraordinary. Doesn't it seem to like they're, that they're going all in on the if we jump it so far across our defence can be hey we're a performance. It seems entertainment. Yes, that's yeah, right. Know? It's like nothing, but there, you know, it's ridiculous. There's, I know we're I know we're in a post truth world supposedly in America, yeah. um, but Fox is mind boggling. Anyway, really it's fascinating. That, really weird that RT got pulled off our TV, but that didn't. didn't it? Well, when that's an interesting it, point when you look at how trustworthy the source is. Yeah, I mean, mm. it, the, the polarisation is the issue in America. I mean, you just, just get an extraordinary polarisation of those cable networks. Yeah. Um, but Fox certainly does seem to be on a league of its own. It does. Well, also, it's the only package where you can get the NFL, you see. That's your news channel with it. So, um, is that, that right? Yeah, that football, when, yeah, when you buy your cable packages, that one brings so much with it. Is uh, That's that's the biggie behind it. So. It's Rupert Murdoch's a smart businessman, yeah. isn't he? But he is, he is. All right. Thank you very much, Corinne. There we are. Uh, Corinne Dan, who's uh, with Guy on up after six. Well, Coromandel's State Highway 25 between Opotere and Hikuai uh, was restricted to one lane and light vehicles uh, only overnight after a major slip deteriorated further this week, eating into the road. For those of you unfamiliar with the area, that road connects Waihi and Whangamata with the tourist towns of Tairua. Pawanui and Fitianga. Now, Mayor Len Salt told Checkpoint last night the region is just one weather event away from almost being completely isolated. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins is due to visit Thames today. The Tairua Care and Friendship Club is made up of volunteers who help transport people to hospital. Marnie Goodman is one of those volunteers, and I asked her how people are being impacted by those road closures. We're only in Tairua, so, and Tairua and Paranui is where our organisation is. Mm. So it's everybody who, who wishes to, or not wishes, but has an appointment that needs to go to a doctor outside of Tairua and Paranui. Yeah. So it's basically both, both of the townships there to get involved. What sort of appointments are they going for, and like, like where are you taking them to? Well, mainly to Waikato Hospital and, and Thames Hospital. So before the, when the 25A was closed, it became a two-hour trip to Thames as opposed to a 45-minute trip, mm. and it became a, a three-hour trip to Hamilton as opposed to two and a quarter hour. But now that the road to Wangamata is closed, we have to go the long way around, so it's a three-hour trip from here to get to Thames, and it's a five-hour trip to Waikato.
Oh my goodness me! I mean, that, which is I'm, I'm so pleased. Thank you for putting it into time for us because obviously a lot of our listeners up and down the country might not have been to Coromandel, but everyone can understand, you know, how mm. long it takes for these to do things. So, tell us about what sort of vehicles are you using? Are they just are they your own ones? No, no, no. We're we're um, a charity. Yeah. We've got a, a Mazda that's. Um, and we've got a van which has a hoist in it. So, yeah, we've got two vehicles. Oh, that's good. And and how do you go with, I guess, paying for petrol and things like that? Uh, well, we have grants and we also get funding from the DHB mm. plus from the National Transport Association. That's, that's through the government. That's something that you can, you've got to be eligible for that, but, but most most of our people are. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. I mean, the Tairua Care and Friendship Club, I love this. I think mm-hmm. It's a fantastic thing that you're putting on there. How long have you been involved yourself, Marnie? Myself, I've only been involved about seven years, but the club itself was formed 30 years ago. It's actually our birthday this year. Oh. Well, happy birthday then. Gosh, what a, Thank you. What, what, a, what a weird way to be celebrating. I mean, this isn't normally what you would be doing. Just, um, no. you know, like these extra runs there, I mean, it's it's putting, I guess, taking more of your time as well. Um, just tell yep. me, how, how is life for you since this, you know, we hear a lot from around the country. How was life for you yourself going in the aftermath of the cyclones? It, it's a strange feeling. I, I'm not sure whether it's surreal. It, it's kind of, we've accepted it. We live here. We're quite used to having floods and, and things. But to actually be faced with the reality, and I think with the road that's been closed at the moment, as suddenly it has hit you in the face, it's like, right, we we can't just go anywhere. You have to plan it because it's it's two hours to get anywhere. And of course, getting to Thames, whereas most of that's where most of our services are for a lot of people, your dentists, your solicitors, the hospital, and all that sort of thing. So it's suddenly it's you don't just get in the car and think, oh well, we'll just pop over the hill for a the day and have a bit of a look around the shops and a coffee, do a bit of shopping, and come home. It's, I mean, it's two hours, so it becomes a four-hour trip. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot more planning. I'm just thinking mm. for, for, for you there as well in Tairua and Pawanui, that's pretty good. What about places further north of you? Like if you head up around, like right up by Kennedy's Bay and that sort of thing as well. Have they got people further north of you that are doing a similar role to what you're providing? Um, they certainly do in Wirianga. I'm not quite so sure about the um, over the Coromandel, but yeah. we're, we're quite well serviced in some ways, but everything's run by volunteers, so depends on the people who are prepared to put their hands up in some ways. Yeah. Look, I, I know you, you said there that, you know, it really hits you in the face when you have a look around. Tell us about the roading, what it looks like. And obviously you and I, we're not civil engineers, but when you look at it, do you think to yourself, this is going to be fixed in a couple of months? Or do you look and go, no. gee, this is a couple of years away? This is a couple of years away. And look, you can't begin to understand the amount of rain that we've had. Since the beginning of December, you know, we've had something like three metres of rain. It's just unprecedented. Wow. It, it's amazing. And the the ground is just so wet, it simply can't take any more. What do you say to our Transport Minister, Michael Wood? What would be something he could do that would really bring some comfort to you? Well... <laughs> On a selfish point, I don't care about the rest of the world. Just fix our 25A so that we can get out of here. 
Yeah, there's uh, Marnie Goodman there, one of the volunteers doing great work there uh, in uh, in uh, Coromandel. Joining us now is our Transport Minister, Michael Wood. Michael's been listening in. Hey, thank you very much for being here with us uh, this morning. So, I mean, we've just heard about State Highway 25 and 25A, etc., and, you know, how really bad they are there. So what, what certainty can you give residents uh, about how those roads are going to be fixed? Oh, morning, Nathan. The certainty we can give people is that we will get them fixed and every stop is being pulled out because we know how important these connections are for the communities around uh, the Coromandel. I spoke to the Mayor, Len Salt, again yesterday uh, to talk about the slip at 25. Um, so in terms of that particular road, we did, as of last night, uh, get limited access open through it again. The contractors have worked around the clock there. It'll be closed again this morning so that they can then start getting on with some of the more fundamental work. The challenge we have here, and it was yeah, came through with 25, is we had 25 open, um, but we've had further rain, the land is uh, so wet that we then had another major slip. So it remains a quite dynamic situation, but I just really emphasise that um, yeah, we've all restored those connections. Um, we've got the contractors there. We so know it's, it's important. So, so they're working on that at the moment. That's great for 25. What about 25A? Do you, do you think there's a fix for that by Christmas? Um, 25A is going to be a very substantial fix. And I think many people have seen the pictures on social media. The road just isn't there anymore. It's completely dropped out for about 110 metres. Um, so it's going to be a very substantial fix. We're doing work at the moment to um, to work out exactly what the, what the fix is. But people need to know there's a plan. So in the first instance, what's being done is that tracks are being cut through the bush so that contractors can get proper access to the site. Um, that will happen within the next week or two. That will be done. They'll then assess the options and give advice on what the options might be to restore the connection, and they will do that by next month. And by May, there will be a decision about how we will do the fundamental fix on that road to restore the connection. It is likely to be one that takes some time. I, could, I just couldn't give an estimate right now as to whether that will be before Christmas or not. But this one will be a longer fix, unfortunately. Okay. I mean, there are other holidays before then. There's Easter, there's school holidays, obviously. Coromandel, uh, one of the areas of New Zealand that relies heavily there on tourism. Uh, Roading makes that a huge problem if they can't there. Are you at the stage where you're considering offering wage subsidies for those areas? Uh, we, We haven't considered a wage subsidy at this stage, but there's a lot of additional support that is being provided. So the key feedback I've had from the Mayor and other contacts in the region is the need to support small businesses um, who have been struggling with cash flow. You know, the anniversary weekend floods, were off, that was often a time when Aucklanders would come down and put a lot of cash in the coffers in the Coromandel. So it's been a real hit. Um, we've set up that $25 million business support package, and that's providing payments of up to $40,000 to small businesses to, to help them keep on going with some cash flow at what's been a really difficult time. Um, and there's obviously the rural support package as well and lots of other business support. So we're trying to target the support to those who, who need it the most and we'll keep reviewing that to, to meet the need. I know, we'll get um, more roads in a minute in a different part of the country. We just want to quickly wrap up there, Coromandel. I know the Fitzyunga Business Association told us there's still uh, areas here that don't have power at the moment. How are we still? How's this still the case three weeks after the cyclone? I get that the roads take longer, but um, what's the problem with getting the power back there, do you know? Well, my, my understanding with the, that the power is that in some more isolated areas, it's simply a case of the, um, the, the power companies 
having real challenges with the repair job in the same way that some of these roads take some time. Um, some of those right. connections have been so severely compromised and sometimes sometimes that is wrapped up with what's happened in the transport network. So I, I can't be sure that's the case here. Yeah. It's often um, those connections go along road corridors. No, it was actually weird as I was asking you that question in my head. I thought, I wonder if it's really difficult to get a truck in, so that might be a part of it too. Tell me about, um, let, let's move to another part of roading. And obviously, it, look, this is a huge, huge job that uh, everybody's got trying to work on this right up and down uh, the North Island and all these areas that were hit. The road between Wairoa and Napier, that's a tough drive at the best of times. As a child, that was the road I was car sick on more than any other road when we went. It was windy, it's tough to get onto, but right now there's plenty of slips that tell us about the progress that's happening there and when do you expect that road to, to reopen mm. look look Napier to Wairua is one of the other ones it's a very significant challenge um, this was a road that it was really badly hit actually before Cyclone Gabrielle so we had Cyclone Hail uh, over, over earlier in January and that severely compromised that road as well um, so there are multiple serious slips and washouts there um, it is likely to be a connection that it's one of the ones that is likely to take a bit a little bit longer um, for us to to be able to restore. Um, there is still assessment that is going on as to the scale of work that will have to happen in order to be able to restore it. So it's another one where we have contractors working very very hard, but it is going to be one of those ones that will be likely, unfortunately, a matter of months rather than a matter of weeks, simply due to the scale of the damage. In the shorter term, we know there are pressing needs, including the need to get stock out of that area. So we're looking at every option um, that we can um, to try and meet some of those challenges. And that might involve temporary access over uh, public land or other uh, private land or other options in order to give people that and uh, meet that need. Right, okay. Um, also, I, I see here, you, you know, you are the Minister for Auckland too. Just some thought, a lot of people there left waiting up to two hours after the Harry Styles concert because there wasn't a bus on. I know that uh, there were some other ones where uh, concerts have been held and sports events have been held where transport and all that. Why can't Auckland organise itself properly f- for big events as far as, um, you know, as far as these, these events and, and public transport goes? Or getting... Good public transport operating around those big events is really important. It's one of the obvious ways of enabling people to get there and not having chaos on the roads. The network itself is obviously run by Auckland Transport and, and private operators, sort of a couple of arms lengths away from central government. But we're doing everything we can to support them. Um, one of the key problems over the last two years has been the bus driver shortage. Um, that's been driven by chronically low wages, which have built up over decades, so we've invested money there to bring their wages up to a decent level. That's starting to help and we are starting to see the shortage reduce. We've got work underway to provide a, a streamlined immigration pathway for bus drivers as well. So we've been putting a lot of work into trying to support them with that problem. Um, but ultimately AT and operators need to plan those services. And it's a it's an ongoing topic of discussion that I do have with Auckland Council. I'm a regular bus user myself. We need more people on buses and that means we need to improve the reliability of the services. Well, the good news is you can listen to the First Up podcast on your bus trips, Minister. Uh, thank you very much for your time. There is uh, Transport Minister Michael Wood here with us. Obviously, a huge amount of uh, roading issues to tackle. Uh, lots of feedback in from the show this morning. It is Barbie's birthday today. Here's one. Barbie's full name, Barbara Millicent Roberts. Uh, here's another one. A bank. A bank would need a branch to charge you for parking. Do they still have those? Martin of Kilburnie says, parking, land's expensive. If you want some, then pay your rent like everybody else.
Another one, paying for parking at the zoo, bad enough, but what about hospitals? That's downright disgusting. Uh, another one, why not apply a windfall tax to banks, says Mike. A lot of people actually very hot on that with the banks this morning. Another one, parking at the zoo, queuing with three young children to pay for parking is going to be a nightmare. Isn't there a prepay parking you could do? That's Margie, that's quite a good one. Steve uh, in Wilton says, when I was a kid years ago, my grandparents took me to Auckland Zoo. We went there by bus. Lots of things to do. There's a busy grandma this morning as well saying, just do free family outings and some love too. Uh, and why not just go for a walk with the kids, go to Auckland Museum. Wonderful. Morning Report is next. Oh, with Marnie and Corin, actually. Treat from all of us here at First Up. Have yourselves a wonderful day. We're back in your ears. Uh, Popo.